Boy Meets World, the, the cinematography did not make sense. What were they trying to tell us with this shot or that shot? It's nothing. Corey was trying to pull one over on Mr. Feeney. Like that, you know? Yes. So it's... I like you. You get me. <laughs> Hey, I'm Xander. And I'm Kim. And this is Geek Prime. So today we are going to talk about um, a show that just came out on Netflix. It's also a book uh, written by uh, Thomas Wheeler and illustrated by uh, Frank Miller. uh, And it's called Cursed. Alright, so you've been reading Cursed and you've been watching Cursed. So which one came first, the book or the Netflix show? So the answer to that is it's complicated. The series, the Netflix series, came together in a really, I think, interesting way. So the series started production in January of 2019, uh, and then the book came out after the series started production, 10 months later, in October 2019. So that's already kind of an interesting setup. And to understand and untangle this, how we got there, we have to go back to 2018. So about mid-March 2018, they announced that Frank Miller and Thomas Wheeler are teaming up on the book book Cursed. And then by the end of March 2018, so later that month, they announced that Netflix has ordered the first season. Okay, so basically Frank Miller is involved in a project and it got greenlit. Yeah, basically. For a series before it was even written. Absolutely. So and what's also funny is what struck me about this whole, how, how all of this came together, is that Frank Miller and Thomas Wheeler are both executive producing this show and then also writing this book at the same time. So it's, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if I would have done it that way, um, but that, that's the path that they chose for themselves. So that helps me jump right into it. Uh, first, just what is, what is Cursed about? Since you're the one that's been really diving into this whole thing. Yeah, so Cursed um, is an Arthurian legend story, but it's not necessarily about King Arthur. It's actually about uh, Nimue, who is the Lady of the Lake. And she is kind of the, I mean, you know more about this than I do, but um, the guardian of Excalibur. She's the holder of Excalibur. Yeah, so the funny thing is, so I thought growing up a waspy guy in the in the suburbs, uh, I thought I had a pretty good lock on on Arthurian stories. Like I'd heard all about them when I was a kid, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, these movies about them. Uh, and I always just assumed the lady of the lake was just like a conduit for Excalibur to Arthur. And so when I was doing my research on this, I was like, well, it's just going to be like, Oh, lady of the lake gives Arthur the sword. Never hear from her again. Not the case at all. She's actually extremely pivotal. Um, she is important from the very beginnings of Arthurian legend. Uh, there's in, in some legends, there's one lady of the lake, Nimue, in some there's two and the first one gets killed and the second one is Nimue. But, uh, she, the, a lot of the accepted, um, lore that she raises Sir Lancelot as a child after his parents are killed. I thought that was fascinating. I didn't know anything about that. Uh, but she kind of her magic either she is present or her magic and like her agents are present whenever Arthur is needed for some sort of quest throughout his legends and she actually at one point um depending on which legend you're reading either kills or just imprisons Merlin and becomes Arthur's magician so she is she is like fully fully wrapped up in in Arthurian legend and very very important you've been reading the book yes how do you like the book uh, the book is great. Um, I'm reading it actually alongside um, a friend of mine is is listening to it on um, on Audible, so she's listening to the book. I chose to read the book because obviously I, the big draw for me was the illustrations by by Frank Miller. Yeah. So um, I wanted to see those illustrations, and I think I think we both agree on this when you know we were talking about it, and she goes, uh, "It's definitely a YA fantasy novel," and and I was like, "Yep, it's definitely YA." Um, but th- but that's the thing is, is I think you have to look at this story and these characters in the context of its its young adult fantasy. Um, as of when we are recording this podcast, uh, Cursed has an average, unfortunately, five point nine two score out of ten on Rotten Tomatoes. I know there's like other scores involved in Rotten Tomatoes, so it has a seventy one percent 
something. Um, I don't, I'm not quite sure of that scoring process, but I do understand a 5.92 out of 10. It does not. Yeah, it's not great. It doesn't look good. One thing is, is a lot of the critical reception compares, I mean, there are tons of comparisons of Curse to Game of Thrones. Just a, a sampling of some of the the critique that Cursed got. So on CNET, um, you know, there's a there there's an article that says torn between young adult drama and R-rated violence. Uh, Cursed seems to decide it's best to wander into Game of Thrones territory with political intrigue and a single impressive one-shot battle sequence. So just to ground you in where we're coming from right now, we've only seen two full episodes of the show. Um, I, I actually, that was my bad. I didn't realize that Netflix released all the episodes. Um, so I, and I, you know, once I realized it, I only chose to watch up to where I am in the book so that I'm pretty synced. Yeah. I'm pretty synced up between where I am in the book and where I am in the show. Um, so you're, you're getting our reaction from just two episodes. Again, I'm giving, I'm giving you these caveats because I'm not an entertainment critic, nor do I want to be an entertainment critic, but I do want to ground you in this is my perspective um, of how I feel about this show. Um, so just sort of moving on, USA Today also um, mentions uh, Game of Thrones. So the, actually the title, that's pretty scathing, the title of their review is Netflix's teen Arthurian tale, Cursed Might Be Good or It Might Be Quarantine Brain. Um <laughs> Which is actually pretty compelling. I I, I thought about it yeah, for a second. Yeah, yeah. You never know if it's Tiger King or yeah, or yeah, something better. Um, and uh, the the quote from the article is, "Cursed certainly has the aura of Game of Thrones, but for teens." Um, and then they also uh, mentioned that Netflix also has a variation of Thrones for slightly younger kids, which is the Letter for the King, which I haven't checked out, um, but I've seen it's it's kind of popped up on my in my recommend recommended for you list. Um, so again, lots of comparisons to Game of Thrones. I'm going to close this out with um, Variety is another uh, um, article that I read about the show. So it's a, it's a little scathing too. Like the, the critics were unkind to the show. Um, so they say Langford has a star's charisma, but has been presented a brief that the show's writing can't quite resolve, playing both a fierce leader and a vulnerable young person. It's not that these traits can't coexist. To wit, they did in Daenerys, the modern archetype of a certain sort of character. So again, comparisons hmm. of um, of Nimue to Daenerys um, and comparisons of the show overall to Game of Thrones. So why am I reading? Why am I reading these entertainment critics articles? Why am I reciting them to you? Well, there was a point to this. It's to me. It became very clear that there's not enough magical fantasy out there that has seeped into pop culture, and that that's fair that Game of Thrones is the only thing that exists um, to compare this to. Because that a the, wide enough base of people have watched. Exactly, exactly. So, which is tragic. I love magical fantasy. I love magical fantasy and I love sci-fi. And it's, it's one of those genres that has always appealed to me. And, and, and to know that, like, right now, the only thing out there that people can think of when they think of magical fantasy is Game of Thrones is tragic. Um, I've noticed it because I've spent many uh, an afternoon, a lazy afternoon, flipping through Netflix and, and flipping through Netflix specifically by genre. And when you get to fantasy, it's this, like, I don't know, this, like, smorgasbord of, like, weird, like, a lot of it is foreign, so America is not producing a lot of magical fantasy. Um, and then, like, you know, a lot of it is, like, anime or something. So we're not producing a lot of live-action fantasy. So that's kind of sad to me that that is yeah. a genre that, it you know, is, is dying a little bit. Um, and honestly, I'm... I'm looking at Cursed favorably just because it's holding down the fort. And it's holding down the fort among a younger target audience. And, yeah, like, I'm sorry, but we have to admit, like, when you're when you're an adult entertainment critic, like, it's been a long time since you've been that age. <laughs> and, and it's not fair to expect this level of sophistication from these characters where, like, 
I don't know, just assume that they're 20, right? What were we doing when we were 20? I don't know. I was drinking a lot of beer and, like, I don't know, dancing at a frat party. Like, <laughs> what what were we doing when we were 20? Why are you trying to expect Daenerys-level, like, you know, complexity from a 20-year-old? And yeah. I don't actually know how old the characters are in this. I they're, They appear to be much older than teenagers, but they're not necessarily full adults. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where I, I think a lot of entertainment critics fail is, yeah, I think, you know, I think there's not enough of a delineation between like YA stuff and, and then just regular yeah. fantasy fiction. Yeah. If I and, think, yeah, and, I think they're, they're grading it on this weird curve that it, it's supposed to be Lord of the Rings. Yes. And it's, it's, you know, um, it, it would be like comparing, you know, Boy Meets World to Breaking Bad. Yes. You know? A hundred percent. You know, Boy Meets World, the, the cinematography did not make sense. What were they trying to tell us with this shot or that shot? It's nothing. Corey was trying to pull one over on Mr. Feeney. Like, that. you know? Yes. So it's, it's, you know, it's a different, it's a different kind of thing. You're not analyzing it in, in a more high concept way. You're analyzing it more as hey, is this entertaining for its target audience? I don't think that the media critic at Vanity Fair is particularly the show's target audience. I like you. You get me. (laughs) So if you were to compare magical fantasy shows aimed at teens and young adults to each other, I would compare this to the Shannara Chronicles, which we've covered at Comic-Cons. We've interviewed the cast. You can totally Mm -hmm. check out those interviews um, on our social channels and our YouTube page. So shout out to Geek Prime um, social channels and YouTube page. Yeah, yeah, check out. Honestly, so when compared to Shannara Chronicles, which I I, I don't – we haven't talked about it that much um, on the podcast, but I – personally was such a big fan of that show I loved that show to death um, when it was on MTV um, mm-hmm. so compared to that show cursed is mediocre I'm just gonna put that out there that okay. is okay so so now so we're getting liked, into now we're getting Chronicles better yes so now we're getting into my personal opinion um, I thought the Shannara Chronicles were much more compelling there was also a book which I also had read um, uh, I thought it was pretty compelling. Um, and I, I fully enjoyed everything about it. And I was so, so sad when they canceled it after its second season. Um, I think the thing that Cursed has going for it is the star power. And we're going to talk about the cast in a second. Um, and the, I, the fact that it's probably, you know, being on Netflix, is probably going to have a little bit more longevity than Shannara Chronicles did um but yeah I think MTV was a bit of a weird place for I mean it was it was interesting choice for for MTV uh like shout out to them for for doing that uh but I think that it was it was more of a show that would have thrived on something like sci-fi yeah it needed you know what it it was it needed a budget um and MTV the the kind of budget that it takes to execute Fan, magical fantasy and do it well mm-hmm. um do it in a way you know there's always these sweeping beautiful landscapes so you're always filming someplace that is probably terribly expensive to film um and then you've also got to worry about um special effects and things like that which you know to your point i think sci-fi could have helped out with that what you were saying about there's so little fantasy tv shows out there to compare things to i think it's because the 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 effects needed to really pull it off can sometimes be prohibitive and it's it's the issue that that sci-fi had for a very long time that like sci-fi shows in general had for a very long time and that's why it was a huge deal that in the 80s the in the 70s and 80s the Battlestar Galactica was a million dollars an episode and it was that was a huge deal I I will make this point um I think actually a really good um, series to compare this to, and I don't know why it did not come up in any um, sort of critiques of the show. Um, but I, just because we're rewatching the series right now, I would actually compare this to Merlin. I think the show they Merlin they, yeah. is pretty analogous to this show. I mean, it's showing them, it's showing these young adults. It's kind of a, a you know, showing the legend of King Arthur um, mm-hmm. in development. You yeah. know. Yeah. Before before the heroic and the the heroic 
heroism, um, you know, sort of become takes over the the narrative, and then it. it and it shows a side character. So Merlin was a side character um, in the Arthurian legend, and they made a whole show that was just focused on him and his development. And mm-hmm. and that's what I think they're trying to do here with Cursed and the Lady of the Lake. So um, we are rewatching Merlin right now. Um, we're still on the first season, but like, and and I totally understand first seasons of anything are rough. And and again, that's the lens that you need to look at this through. Because the first seasons of a lot of really good shows are really really rough, and it's yes. really hard. You know, you take into account what what we just said about how it's incredibly hard to produce a fantasy, a magical fantasy show, and you put that together, and you have the first season of Merlin. Mm. I mean, really bad CGI. Oof, kind yeah. of cheesy script like it's it's the same and so um so yeah if you, it's the fact that that didn't come to mind for a lot of people is really weird um and shows that maybe also a lot of these critics don't really have a a, a basis of knowledge in magical fantasy but, but let's let's jump into the actors because i think like i like i said earlier i think what curse has going for it is it has a lot of star power um these are either names that are pretty well known or or, or names that um you know are rising stars in the industry so let's start with katherine langford i think every review that i've read um about curse really loves katherine langford in this role and I think she executes it really well. They have problems with the character and how the character was written, but they think that Catherine Langford, there's something about her. There's some sort of it girl quality mm-hmm. about her. So she is from, if you don't know, if you don't recognize that name, um, she's from 13 Reasons Why. I have 13 Reasons Why. I did not watch 13 Reasons Why, but it seems yeah, like a some, lot of... I have some issues with that. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people show. watched it. And some people liked it, and that's what she's known for. Um, and then uh, Devin Terrell, um, apologies if I pronounced his name incorrectly. I've never heard anybody pronounce his name, so I'm giving it a giving it my best shot. Um, but he plays Arthur, um, and to right now, which we're not sure if he's the Arthur. Yeah, so and we were debating this the other day if he's the Arthur or not. So if you read the book or if you binge watched the show when it came out, um, you probably know if he is the Arthur. Um, to me, I'm not sure if he is the Arthur. I think it would be really cool if it was like a red herring situation, yeah. um, just because like the mostly agent- because. Uther, yeah, Arthur, like Arthur, Arthur's father, Uther Pendragon, is pretty young. Yeah, in, uh, in, so in the, this book, the actor, the and and we're like as we're going through actors, um, the actor that plays Uther, uh, King Uther, um, who's supposed to be Arthur's dad, um, is thirty eight, and the actor who plays Arthur, Devin Terrell, is I believe twenty. Let's see, I forgot that. 27. 27. So that, I mean, it could happen biologically. It's not out of the question, but it's just bizarre. Yeah. Um, it, would, it would be strange considering where, where I've seen Arthur in this, in the show so far. Yeah. Um, but I, what I love about the actor is he played a young Barack Obama in Barry, <laughs> which came out in 2016, so I was, I'm already in love with him. Um, and I, I made the mistake, honestly, like, I knew every time they, they recast a traditionally white role with a actor of color, um, I know that the internet is a dumpster fire, and I know that there are going to be yeah. opinions. Yeah. And you I don't just don't bother with the comments section there. I did read the comment section. Oh, that's your first mistake. I'm not going to I am not going to dignify anything that I read by quoting it or or giving it any sort of response, but just know that the, the internet is a dumpster and um a lot of that was aimed at the, the casting the, of a person of color as Terrible place where dreams go to die. Says <laughs> Arthur. Um, so yeah, what, what's funny though is is as I'm reading the book in Frank Miller's illustrations, Arthur actually looks more like Henry Cavill in The Witcher. 
<laughs> which is a completely different aesthetic. Um, but just just so you know, just it's a bit. yeah, Frank Miller is envisioning Henry Cavill in The Witcher, but we cast Barack Obama <laughs> in the role. Um, which I, I, I we, we can get into it later, but like I actually think he's lovely. I, I actually think he's yeah, incredibly I charming. Him so far. Um, so the big draw here was uh, Daniel Charman, who plays the big bad. Um, and he is best known from Teen Wolf, which has a pretty rabid fan base. And I am telling you that from the inside because I am part of that rabid fan base. <laughs> um, I'm devoted to that show through and through. I'm such a fan of that show. And I'm just, I'm, I'm also rewatching that show just because I miss it. It's like, it's like a warm blanket that I can wrap myself in. That and like Gilmore Girls. Um, but... Uh, everybody knows Daniel Sharman from Teen Wolf. And he was also on uh, that Medici show. I think it was mm -hmm. called The, the Medici's. Medici's. Um, yes. So he was also a, a Medici. Um, and he has a pretty big fan following him as a, as a human being. I think part of it was... Um, on the set of, of Teen Wolf was when he got together with Crystal Reed, who has her own pretty large fan following. So people were really invested in that relationship, which is no longer, unfortunately. Um, but then they, you know, that just kind of kept sustaining his, his the fandom that, that Daniel Sharman brings with him to this show. And he was also in Fear the Walking Dead. Oh, that's right. That's I didn't he watch was, that. You did. I yeah. did. I did. He was... Uh, he was the um, very interesting uh, Troy Otto, the uh, the younger Otto brother, who uh, um, their family uh, had this had this ranch that became uh, in I believe it was season two uh, or Fear the Walking, or maybe it was season one, uh, became a very pivotal point in the beginning of the apocalypse and the battles um, for resources and and stuff, and he was a little. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of issues going on there. He seems to be, uh, from what I've seen of him so far, is it, it, he's looking like he's Troy Otto in Arthurian times. So, should be interesting. Yeah, um, I'm a big Daniel Sharman fan. I was, I was, I, I loved him on Teen Wolf. Um, and then we have Gustav Skarsgård, and and if you're wondering, hmm, Skarsgård, yes, it's he's a he's a Skarsgård. So he's son of Stellan Skarsgård. Brother, great actor. Yeah, great legendary actor. Um, also um, a tongue twister that was really difficult for me to pronounce. Uh, brother of Alexander Skarsgård. Um, but yeah, he uh, he was on Westworld, I believe, and uh, and then Vikings. So I don't know what age Merlin is supposed to be. The book doesn't seem to agree with the TV show, which doesn't seem to agree with folklore. Interesting. Yeah. So in let's 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 take the show Merlin for example. So in the show Merlin, uh, they did reimagine the 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 ages and did deviate from folklore. So Arthur is twenty and Merlin is actually younger than him at about sixteen years old in the in the show Merlin. In the legends, though, Merlin is usually portrayed as so so much older than Arthur. Yeah, yeah, that's always been how I've viewed Merlin. Yeah, so I mean there are even some um some tales of Merlin overseeing Arthur's birth or or facilitating it even. Uh so it's very very weird um you know kind of placing him in this cursed universe. Uh so in the book in the legends Merlin is also uh, romantically linked to Nimue. So I haven't gotten there in the books, and I have not gotten there in the show yet. But but the they do seem very off on ages. Nimue seems very young to be any kind of romantic interest to Merlin. Yeah. Though in, yeah, in some of my research, in one of the legends, um, she does Im imprison him in like this rock tomb because he keeps sending unwanted advances yes. at her. Yes. So that might be it. It might be because he is so much older than her. Merlin can take a hint. Yeah. In the book, so just to bring it all back to the book, Merlin is suggested to be some kind of old. I am not entirely sure what 
kind of old he is, but they refer to him as a, quote, legendary sage, and he's a, quote, feared sorcerer through the ages, and something caused his magic to be lost for 17 years. So just add 17 years to whatever age you thought he was by the time he became, quote, legendary. So that's, I mean, he's at least middle age to me at that point, right? I guess, yeah, it has to be. So yeah, there's just there's there's the matter of Merlin's age and and I'm not entirely sure how old he's supposed to be. I think the actor is I forgot how old he is. He's 39. He's 39. Okay. But I it, it sort of grew on me whether or not I was right that Merlin was supposed to be old. It doesn't matter because this interpretation of Merlin by Gustav Skarsgård um has this really rad sort of Klaus from Umbrella Academy vibe to him, and I okay. absolutely love it. And Umbrella Academy is coming out. The second season's coming out soon, so um, uh, I'm really just... All the Umbrella Academy excitement is really... <laughs> I'm getting wrapped up in it, and maybe that's sort of um, tinting the way that I'm looking at uh, Gustav Skarsgård as Merlin. Um, so just moving on, I mean, the whole cast, we could talk about the whole cast for, for ages... And I think Lily Newmark did a great job bringing a lot of personality and quirkiness to the role. I can, you know, you can tell, especially we we watch it with the with the captions on. I love doing that. I think that really actually. I very much don't. I I, I think watching things with the caption on uh, helps me appreciate the acting better because you you see the words that they read on a on a page, and then you see how they execute them, and and you see Lily Newmark getting. You know, what would have been some very kind of like blah lines, but you see how she executes them. And it's it's actually kind of impressive how much personality and, and quirkiness she brings to this best friend role. So that brings us to King Uther, who's played by Sebastian Armesto. I don't know much about Sebastian Armesto. Um, he seems to have been acting for quite a while. He's a British actor. Um his on his resume of sorts, the only titles that I recognize is Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, which came out in 2011, and he played King Ferdinand, and he was also Lieutenant Mitaka in Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Um, clearly a memorable character for for everyone. Um, but again, not to belabor the point uh, about age, but. So Sebastian Armesto, the actor, is 38. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to, from what I understand, King Uther is Arthur's father, correct? Yes. Yep, in all so, the legends, he's Arthur's dad. So take it back to the book. In the book, Cursed, they explicitly say that King Uther is 26. That's a bit of a jump. Yeah. So they cast a 38-year-old to play a 26-year-old who's supposed to be the father of an actor who is... 27. 27. Interesting. Yeah. And you know what? No no hate to Sebastian Armesto. He looks great. And if he he can pass for a 26-year-old, he, he plays it very convincingly. But point being, I have no clue how age works in this universe. And I am still convinced... That the Peter that or the Arthur that we are following is not King Arthur. Yeah, the, the, yeah. it's just well, everything is just kind of adding up to that. Things are not lining up. Yeah, so that is my theory, and um, King Uther kind of solidified that theory for me. And again, I will loop back with all of you when I am done reading the book and watching the binge watching the full series. Um, and, and you get to say that you were right, or I get to say I was right. Um, but either way, that's the theory I'm going with right now. So the last actor we're going to talk about, again, you can look up the whole cast. I'm sure they all have pretty fantastic resumes. Um, but the last one that we're going to talk about is Peter Mullen, and he plays Father Carden, um, one of the, the, the leaders, I guess, of the Red Paladins um, in the show. Yes, and I am very excited about him because he was James Delos in Westworld. Yeah, I forgot uh, about that. He And he's also in Ozarks, which he plays a very intensely scary poppy field owner, like Missouri opium kingpin kind of mm. guy who... Um, 
you know, Jason Bateman is in fear for his life generally when he's around Peter Mullen's character. Uh, it does a really good job with the, uh, with the Missouri accent, I think, especially considering he's Scottish that, you know, does a, oh, does a pretty good one. It's um, a big leap. But yeah, he was also in, in some great movies in Braveheart, Train Spotting, Children of Men. The next thing we're going to talk about is let's talk about something I really liked about the show and something that I think the show does really, really well is the landscape is the, the shooting locations are just gorgeous. They're unreal how gorgeous they are. Um, in fact, I, I'm willing to say, you know, that the landscape probably did more for me than the wardrobe or the special effects, which are two really? incredibly important components of, of a magical fantasy show. But the landscape just like crushed it. And to, usually when you hear me say something like that, it's because something was filmed in like New Zealand or Australia or, or, or something like that. What I thought was really interesting is reportedly, again, I don't know, there, these were some sort of sketchy sketchy sources here, but uh, reportedly filming took place all across the UK for Cursed, which is amazing. Um, There's some really beautiful sunny shots and, and I don't I, I don't know, all the times I've been to England, I don't think I've ever Listen, seen that much sun. <laughs> you point a camera enough times in the UK, you're bound to find some sun. We <laughs> must have filmed all in like this one sunny day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, there's some really, really gorgeous locations that they found. Some reports by, again, really sketchy sources that I can't confirm or deny, um, claim that the crew of Curse had constructed a whole medieval village in deep cuts. Um, on a land owned by the Ministry of Defense. Um, again, totally, I cannot confirm or deny any of these. I was just doing some light research over here because I there were just some scenes that were just so beautiful and and you know just the the landscape just really struck me and I wanted to know honestly for really selfish traveling purposes where where these places were. I, I also want to bring up how in, in the process of looking up. All, again, selfishly, all of these shooting locations, um, I came across something that made me laugh, which is that Daniel Sharman fans are so on top of it. So I don't know if you know anything about, like, you know, when, when, a, when an individual, when an actor has a certain kind of fandom where they're, like, you know, tumblers and stuff dedicated to their every move, it's creepy, and I don't, I don't necessarily encourage this behavior because you know they're humans and they need their privacy um but daniel Sharman fans um are keeping track of everywhere he gets photographed and really? are incredibly like great is... at, at identifying where he gets photographed so every time a photograph is released of daniel Sharman, like they're on top of it and so um they found um a photo of him filming uh cursed and were able to locate it as the tithe barn on bradford on avon to some extent they were probably more reliable um in terms of figuring out shooting locations than any article that google brought up that's it's that's it's something. really impressive um so anyway so you were saying that you like the scenery better than the the wardrobe and makeup but yeah you did pay attention to the wardrobe and makeup. i did um i mean it's so important it, it's such an important um feature of a good magical fantasy um show or 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 movie um but so I'm torn. I'm torn on the wardrobe and makeup. The the wardrobe originally it was pretty bleh. It was honestly way more intricate and creative in my head when I was reading the books than when I finally saw it brought to screen. Um, I do I do have some friends. I was talking about it with some friends um, who have watched some episodes or, or binged all of it. Um, and what they, what I've heard from them is that they appreciate the fact that there's color even in their wardrobes, which totally get it. Um, that's unusual in a lot of magical fantasy, um, in both big and small screens. Um, everything is just earth tones. So I'm, I'm looking at you, Lord of the Rings. Everything was just like sepia. I mean, color was... From what I understand, cloth with color was very expensive back then. Exactly. And that's why that's why royals always had 
really colorful clothing. And that's I'm mean, purple. I believe was the most expensive color to to make. That's why purple was the color of kings. That's fascinating. But yeah, I mean, also when you're when you're making your own clothes and you're having to patch things, you don't want things that are all these different bright colors, and you have to combine like a like an orange with a slightly with a off green, and, yeah, or like a slightly off with a slightly off. I mean, just be a just be a little weird. That's fair. That is fair. I totally understand your argument, but um, I do have some friends that did appreciate that there are differently colored clothes. Um, to me, that wasn't enough. To be honest, like, like you know, yes, like Nimue was wearing a green dress for most of the you know first episode, but like, it's underwhelming. The, the styles are underwhelming. But yeah, I will say. I do want Merlin's robes. His robes, the, I, whatever, however they designed his robes it, is was beyond my imagination when I was reading the book. And his cap, it's a whole look. The whole thing is just fabulous. Um, one note, though, on the hair. So, I have a little gripe. A little gripe. Um, the fact that they didn't have Nimue cut her hair, she was supposed to have cut her hair herself while the Red Paladins were chasing her. Um, to the town where she eventually, I forgot the name of the town, but to the town where she eventually reunites with Arthur. Um, she cut her hair herself to disguise herself, herself, yeah, in the book, um, from the Red Paladins, so they don't recognize her. And the fact that the show chose not to have her cut her hair is so typical of the entertainment industry. Like, this, the entertainment industry that thinks that, that places a lot of emphasis on long hair as as you know pretty mm. and um and you would think that by now Charlize Theron has done enough advocacy for the badassness of the pixie cut mm. but no so I I just think it's really such or a Denai Guerrero doing, doing the whole bald look oh yeah Denai Guerrero like you would think that like we would it clearly works. We would stop placing so much value on long hair, but I I'm just a little little disappointed she didn't chop her hair because that was there that was kind of a big point in the books. Um, was there anything else that that bothered you? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not gonna hold it back anymore. So she Nimue gets mauled by a bear as a child. And that's and the scene actually itself where where they show it is pretty horrifying. I mean, and the bear is just like extra huge um, mm. in the in the TV show. So you would think, I mean, again, in my brain when I was reading the books, I expected the scars on her back to be more gruesome than how they were portrayed on the screen. So I mean, she's mauled by a bear. These claws are basically like. On screen, the claws of the bear that eventually attacks her, like, are the size of, like, her shin. Like, that's mm -hmm. how long they were. And imagine that sort of, like, digging into a child's back. Because what he's doing is she's in a little cave, and she's kind of backing into the cave, and he kind of grabs her by the back and just drags his claws through her back, which... You know, in real life, and again, this is magical fantasy, so you kind of have to suspend yeah. your... your disbelief i mean in real life he would have that child just would have been bye-bye yeah that's just you just cut a child in half yeah. but like um but what they ended up doing was like it her scars quote unquote looked like painted on her back they were very flat there was no texture it there was no sign of the the skin being breached it was like very it literally looks like she went to a carnival where there was like some sort of face painter and like asked them to paint it on so a point i'll make about about the special effects which goes to what you're saying is so because we have also been been re-watching some of merlin and the the cgi in that is is very um 2000s very obvious. Very yes, but what I will say is I I think that even though there's 20 years between almost 20 years between Merlin and Cursed, I think the CGI technology looks the same, 
and the CGI actually looks worse in Cursed. And I think it's because of the higher definition cameras now, because back then you could blend the CGI a bit because the picture wasn't as high definition. Whereas now the picture's so high definition that you can really see the contrast between what's real and what's computer generated. And it's just very, very clear. If you don't have like really, really intricate CGI, it just becomes a very, it, 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 you can almost see the tennis ball that they're supposed to be acting against. And it's, it's tough. It's tough. And, but that is my argument for practical effects. I think I think people, I think studios have gotten and and producers and directors and all that have become a little too reliant on CGI. And I understand that it's it's cheaper to to have an artist do something up than it is to build a practical effect. But I mean, that's why Star Wars still looks really the original Star Wars movies still look really good. That's why Jurassic Park is still like one of the most visually stunning movies because of all the practical effects. They did use CGI at parts. But there's just something to be said for practical effects. I'm just a big fan of practical and CGI just even in the 21st century, CGI is still not where where it it could be. Um, but anyway, no, that's you're, my you're absolutely right. I mean, honestly, a lot of the critics did drag drag cursed a little bit because of the really like you know, awful looking CGI. I mean, it was disappointing, you know, watching the, the wolf scene, which is a pretty big yeah. scene in the book and, and, and is such a, I, I guess, important scene that it's in a lot of the, the promo materials for the show. Um, it's in the title frame. Um, but like, it's, it's really disappointing to see how, fake those wolves looked and like you know not that i not that i wanted them to leverage real animals or or anything no no but practical effects that's where practical effects yeah so let's let's bring it back to how you felt about about the show about the book about the characters what were your what are your impressions from two episodes and i don't know how many pages in you are but what are your impressions Okay, so a lot of people seem to have a problem with Nimue. Um, they think that she really isn't developed as a character. We talked about this a little bit earlier. You've got to understand the age range that she is in. And honestly, a lot of the critique reminds me about of how I felt about Katniss from The Hunger Games, actually. I actually a thought flashback. Katniss from The Hunger Games was even worse honestly, the Nimue. I think, you know, because I've, I had gotten to the part where I get Nimue's backstory and there's a lovely scene with her and her mother and her mother is explaining to her how she's a survivor. And, and she says this amazing, amazing line, which is, you are not some fragile maid. You are a warrior and you are strong. And I thought that was a lovely scene and all the examples, even though it was a, it was an example of telling and not showing necessarily but I yeah I thought that that was all the examples that her mom gave of why she's a warrior and why she is strong I think gave her more dimension to me than Katniss ever got um Katniss yeah. was technically just a coward she was scared of everything and she was just her scared knee-jerk reactions to things just happened to work out for her if anything, she was she was like blessed, like she mm. she was just weird, some weird good juju is just following this girl around. I I have a problem with this, you know, chosen one narrative. Yeah. But the the thing that makes this different is that like Nimue, I I, I don't know, it, something's different about Nimue. Um, the fact that like she's just magical from the beginning, she's like magical from birth, and it's not. That the chosen one often is this like mediocre person um, <laughs> that that like wakes up one day and is just part of this this adventurous narrative. Yeah, it um, does really well at a video game, and suddenly you're the last starfighter. Yeah, but like I think with Nimue, it's it's this was her destiny. I believe that so much more than a character like Katniss. You know, mm-hmm. like like I said, I think Katniss was stumbling her way through the Hunger Games, and she just happened to have a really great guardian angel that made sure that she didn't die. Um, but I, I think Nimue, from the beginning, um, you know, there was 
she this was her destiny something amazing and epic was supposed to happen to her and when the mom like i said when the mom told that story about that when she ran away when she got lost when all this stuff happened to her but she but magic saved her magic made her a survivor then like it that that made me more comfortable with her as the chosen one to me, there was a reason why she was the chosen one. She was chosen since birth, and she's proven it throughout her life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that is that is how I feel about Nimue. So I respectfully disagree with everyone who has a problem with Nimue. Um, and anyone so, who thinks that she doesn't have a personality will, like, examine what you were like at that age. I'm sorry. You need to <laughs> look inside yourself. You know it to be true. Um, <laughs> but So she has met Arthur. At the point that you've gotten to, yes, in the show and the book. Arthur, so, what do you think of that? Okay, so Arthur is interesting to me. Like I said, love the actor, love the casting. He is charming as all heck. Um, but a lot of people are saying that there's no chemistry between Nimue and Arthur. What do you uh, think? I I think that that may be true. I think also that that's just for the course with this category i'm sorry i'm not looking i i am never i when i when i want when i want romance then i will watch something in the romance category and i will see actors who can execute a romance narrative well when i want magical fantasy that just happens to have romance as a component i am going to expect to not you know have my heart fill up with butterflies or, <laughs> or anything you know i know that there's just it's you can't you can't do it all. Yeah. I don't think. I well, and I can't even think in my brain of a of a show or a movie that was able to to do it all. You know, to give yeah. me that level of romance that I expect as a romance expert. I'm just gonna call myself that. That's going on my resume. Um, <laughs> I have watched many many a romance movie and and often binge the Hallmark romance marathons you're a romance influencer yeah i just don't make money off of it or have no followers um but so it's useless yeah pretty much great um so eventually all of this is going to be research for something big but like (laughs) again i'm gonna go back to the fact that i don't expect much by in terms of romance from a category like like magical fiction and again i'm gonna just broaden that science fiction as well. There hasn't been a romance that's really touched me and and made me feel the same way as romance-specific narratives do. So that's just my opinion. Maybe I mean, I'll... Riker and Troy. <laughs> wow. That's like sexual tension. Starbuck and Apollo. I guess. That's... I don't know. So yeah, I... I I mean, feel free to, I don't know, comment, reach out to us on social media, like, give me more examples like Xander just did, um, and I'll let you know what I think. But to mind, I can't think of of a an intersection of romance and any of these genres that, I'm, that I love and that I'm a big fan of that balance both really, really well. Um, and that's not why I watch magical, magical fantasy anyway. So, you know... That's kind of... Were there any redeeming qualities? Um, I, again, Devin Terrell is just so charming and just lovely to look at. Um, But I think what I love about him, and again, he's more redeeming than a lot of other characters than I could think of in a lot of other magical fantasy um, stories, but, like, he's really sweet and he's really helpful and, like, when Nimue's hurt, he's caring, and he's thoughtful, and he's sensitive, and I I think that that's great. And whether or not, you know, the two actors, you know, um, Devin and Catherine together have any sort of chemistry, they might not, and that's fine. I, I think, you know, in their own characters, they're fine. I think I believe um, that Nimue and Arthur have something romantic going that there's there's some sort of you know romantic tension between them um and that's fine here's one big complaint um that i have about the show so arthur handling excalibur for the first time so this is i'm i'm just building up mounting evidence as to why i don't think this arthur is king arthur 
and one of it is him handling Excalibur for the first time was the most underwhelming thing I have ever seen in my life. In, in the book, it's underwhelming, and in the show, it's underwhelming. So I, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to do a lot of convincing, unless a character comes out and is like, that's King Arthur. <laughs> like, until that happens, I don't believe this is the Arthur that we think it is. Because he straight up handles Excalibur for the first time, and, like, and I'm thinking about things... Other Arthurian legends like Sword in the Stone and like all these other stories, retellings of, of the King Arthur legend. And Arthur just like picks up the picks up the sword and he's like, Oh, this is a really nice sword. Swings it around a little bit. He's like, good weight, good color, you know, like it's got good balance and stuff, and then it's over. I mean, in real life. King Arthur picked up Excalibur for the first time there wouldn't be angelic choirs and the clouds parting he would just pick it up and say it's a sword it's a pretty cool sword you gotta make it Excalibur that's so that's totally true and that's probably why Nimue has to get the sword again we did not watch the full series and I am not done with the book um but that's probably why Nimue has to get the sword to Merlin Merlin's probably like the charger like <laughs> he's the one. He's got to plug it in. Exactly. For a little bit. Like I expected it to glow, and I guess it's out of battery. I don't know. Um, but but yeah, I, I guess I'm indoctrinated by all of these Arthur representations that preceded Cursed. That made like the moment that King Arthur just like handles that sword for the first time is a magical moment, and there's there's like I don't know sparks and like. Like you said, angels singing, choir singing, and, and like, you know, it glows and stuff. Like, I, it just, none of that happened. He literally just, like, picks it up, like, almost like he's aware that it's, like, a set prop. And is, like, swinging it around, like, super, like, you know, casual. Um, and I'm just like, no, what that needs to be a special moment. Why is it not special? And so. Well, we'll have to see. So. Yeah. Why don't you guys let us know uh, if you've watched Cursed, if you've read the book, what you think of of the show, of the book, of the writing, of the set pieces, of if you were under or overwhelmed by Arthur handling Excalibur. Let us know. Uh, and we might do a follow-up once we finish the, the, the series, series and yeah. you finish the book. That could be, a, that could be a, a good future episode. But for now, that's... That's our thoughts on Cursed. Yeah, so uh, continue the conversation with us. Uh, we are geek.prime on Instagram. We are geekprimex on Twitter. Um, and you can just look up Geek Prime on Facebook. Uh, and feel free to reach out. Let us know what you think. And, and you can uh, always go to geek-prime.com. And go to geek-prime.com. And you can find our, our YouTube page there. You can find... All our videos from Comic-Con, our, our interviews right. with the Shannara Chronicles uh, cast, back when we could go to cons, pour one out. Oh, so sad. Well, we will see you next time. Yep.